Star jump sequence terminates, Captain. Get the gravitational dampers online and open the blast aye, shield. Aye, sir. Bring us in closer. Aye, aye, sir. Moving us in on sublight drive. Extreme magnification. Aye, sir. The center of the galaxy. And there's our black hole. The experience of a lifetime, Captain. Let me put this on audio. We should be able to hear the magnetic resonance field. This is it, ladies and gentlemen. The edge of time and space where the impossible can happen. Welcome to the event horizon. Good morning, or afternoon, or evening, whatever is relevant for the part of the world you are in. Indeed, welcome to the Event Horizon, where the impossible happens. Join us each week at this time as we delve into the worlds of fantasy, science fiction, and science fact in all their forms. I'm your host, Gene Turnbow. And I'm your other host, Susan Fox. And with us today are two of the creators of... Well, what is the name of this series? I just suddenly realized it's it's very involved. It's brilliant. It's it follows up on um, two things that that the, the are in the public eye right now, and. It does, what is the series called? Well, first of all, let me introduce our guests. Oh, they yeah. are Gabe Yoakum and Charlotte Greenbaum. Welcome to the show, both of you. Thanks very much. And so what do you call this entire project? So uh, we're, we've, we've taken to, to calling this the Night of the Living Dead Revival. Ah, uh-huh. Well, that makes that makes sense. It is a collection of ten separate titles, uh, comic book titles, um, that you know spin off of the world established by the 1968 cult classic Night of the Living Dead. And then, what happens to these people afterwards is entirely up to Gabe and his crew. Yeah, well, we uh, it's it, it's been a lot of fun. Like, like you said, it's it's ten titles where. Uh, now officially four issues deep. We just sent our fourth issues off to the the printer on Friday. Um, so uh, and and it's exactly what you said. We we take the the source material, which is absolutely brilliant. Romero was a genius, uh, continues to be a genius, and we take that universe that he created so magnificently, and we turn the movie on its head and then expand the universe outward. Um, so several of the titles follow characters from the film and the ones that don't are new stories featuring new characters, but all within this little Pennsylvania town where all heck breaks loose. It's every one of these titles, uh, follows, uh, follows a different set of characters and all of the, all of their fates are interrelated and, uh, we're watching the story unfold from from a dozen different perspectives at a time, and it's it's a fascinating approach. And there's an, it's peppered with enough dialogue from the film that you know you know where you are at every moment. Yeah, you know the editorial staff really takes painstaking efforts to make sure that we do the right kind of fan service uh, to to those people who who know the film and love the film. And I think Charlotte can talk a little bit more to this, but 
you know, as we've we we've gone along, uh, because Charlotte edits uh, three of our books, uh, and uh, as we've gone along, we try to include little bits and pieces from the film so that people will will come across them and go, oh yes, I remember that. No, it, this is the world that I know. It's just so much broader uh, than. Mm-hmm. Uh, than, than I ever thought. It, we're hoping that this really does in a, in a very serious canon for a lot of people. So uh, Charlotte actually uh, edits uh, Remote, which is uh, the book that I've been fortunate enough to help write, uh, which mm-hmm. takes place at the local radio station. Uh, um, uh, she also edits Spring and then also Honor. And Honor is one of the books that, that features um, one of the the, police, the, the right? more ancillary characters yeah. from the book, uh, uh, Chief McClelland. Ah. Yeah, no, one of the, uh, Gabe's exactly right. One of the things that we play with a lot in these books is kind of, it's the, you know, the 1960s, the television is coming into play as a serious um, way to get news and information. And we have TV screens wherever we can think to put them in diners and in a diner and in somebody's house and every yes, place. in in somebody's house, anywhere we can get a TV. Um, we try to put often iconic parts from the film, um, often interviews like with Dr. Grimes or mm-hmm. the chief McClellan's interview with the famous, uh, you know, they're all messed up line. Uh, we, we try to get that in there anywhere we can to try to, you know, really give the fans what they like to see and, um, connect the whole universe to make it really cohesive. Well, it, it certainly worked. I mean, it's it's uh, uh, the constant references back to the original film really stitch it all together and really give you uh, a sense of concurrency for all of the various storylines. So who's the Night of the Living Dead fan? Who came up with this? Well, it's an interesting story, actually. Um we, uh, the, our company was was founded two and a half years ago um, or so. Uh, we're actually a subsidiary of a, a very major video game company, uh, Take Two Interactive Software, that that owns the, the Rockstar Games and Two K Games. They do Grand Theft Auto. They do Bioshock, Borderlands, um, those video games, and they founded the company uh, with the intent of creating. Uh, kind of a, a new IP source uh, for the video game company. And, and they brought in uh, Bill Jemis. Uh, Bill Jemis mm-hmm. is our GM, and Bill Jemis ran Marvel from 99 to 2004. Uh, he was the president there. Uh, he launched the Ultimate Universe while he was there. Um, so, uh, you know, he has a pedigree. Um, in the early days of the company, much of what they were doing was experiment, and this predates both me and Charlotte, actually, um, they were experimenting with the idea of a shared universe. Um, so they would come up with different creative prompts, and they would send these prompts out to artists and writers. And um, the, the the results that they got back were lackluster at best. Well, one day, uh, our story editor, uh, Michael Coast, uh, was looking through a list of public domain properties. Mm-hmm. And stumbled upon the the what is kind of a very famous error in that uh, the film in 1968 almost immediately fell into the public domain due, due to a copyright error. Ooh. Oh, I, I was, did not know yeah. that. That's interesting. <laughs> I was going to ask about that, but you didn't need anyone's permission. No, not at all, actually. <laughs> um, so what ended up happening is we, we saw that this was the case. 
And they said, okay, well, let's send out some creative prompts here. And lo and behold, the the kind of art and the kind of uh, writing samples that we got back based off of this prompt were so much more cohesive and so much more pulled together than anything else that the company grabbed uh, from any anything else they sent out because people know this film and they mm-hmm. love this film. And so everything worked and, and we just knew it would be silly for us not to go forward with this. And when we decided that this was going to be a true universe, we just we jumped in with both feet and 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 really made it as as broad and expansive as possible. Well, it's, it's I'm astonished that uh, that Night of the Living Dead ended up without a copyright. It's just how how did exactly yeah how exactly did that happen? From what I understand, is uh, it was just a. a, a one of the clerks that was uh, taking care of all the stuff on the actual print of the film forgot it, and nobody checked, and nobody looked, and almost immediately fell into the public domain. Romero, you know, uh, talks a lot about it in interviews about how you know at this point it's just is what it is. A lot of people credit the popularity of the film with the fact that it fell into the public domain so quickly because every weekend. On every local television station in America, you would have this movie playing because they didn't have to pay rights fees. Mm-hmm. So, so many people saw this film because it was free to show on your television station because of the, the copyright error. So many people saw it and it became so ingrained in the society, mostly as a result of the fact that there was no copyright. And if you huh. know, if you have kids, you know they'll watch it over and over and over. <laughs> no, this this is a. a brings to mind some uh, another very popular uh 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 property on television that was broadcast without a copyright statement the entire first season of star trek has no copyright statement on it yeah try and try yeah, but, and uh, yeah. write comics about that and you'll find out uh, yeah <laughs> yeah I don't there's a big so. difference between a low budget film and with a, a company put together for a single production and dealing with the Paramount, uh, well, they you know, they they juggernaut. They backtracked somehow because that's not going to work twice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but that's another show. But that's yeah. But uh, uh, that's just it boggles the mind that that uh, that something like that would have occurred and mm-hmm. um i certainly remember seeing night of the living dead on uh, regular broadcast television when i was a kid uh, and more than once so um yeah and i i hadn't realized it, it it's such it's one of those uh, things that's so ingrained in the culture that i had not even realized that i had seen the film until I went back and I read your comic books and saw all the references, and I went, "I saw that." Oh, yeah. <laughs> these lines. This is. I remember this. We've also got clips of it on, uh-huh. on radio now and again. We Shall just we? need a million more of you guys, and we'll be set. <laughs> well, this is this is what we're setting out to do. <laughs> so, um, how did you assemble your team, or did, were you the team assembler, or were you assembled? No, I, I wasn't the team assembler. I'm, I'm, Charlotte and I are both kind of late to the game. 
Um, I meant I meant Charlotte, the editor. Oh, yeah, Charlotte, <laughs> go, 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 go. Sorry. Um, <laughs> well, uh, as far as you know, my couple of books. Um, I came on actually initially. I was an intern uh, at Double Take, and I sort of worked my way into the creative side of things because uh, I really, really love visual storytelling. I'm also an artist. Um, I just I had I had a knack for it, and so I sort of got into it, and uh, they allowed me to choose my own creative teams pretty much. Um, when I got there, um, there was one title that was basically needed to be completely redone, um, the first version of Spring. And so, you know, they, mm-hmm. they basically said to me, here, you have all these resources. Um, let's see what you can do. And from there on out, it's really been, um, they put a lot of trust in me. And this is actually my first, uh, this is my first job as an editor. And so I've uh, definitely learned from issue to issue. And you guys, uh, did you guys get to read all issues one through three? Oh, you, um, uh, one, through, one and two. One and two of each title. We, need, we don't we have any more of them than that. Uh, okay. Well, We're gonna go uh, I hope you store. saw vast improvements between ones and twos because um, every time we've published, uh, the leap uh, has been enormous uh, just in quality and art quality, story, everything has got just gotten better and better. So at least you got to see twos, which I think quite, which are even better than ones. But yeah, I mean, any more specific questions about choosing my teams or, or just uh, kind of where we got where we are? We use, um, di- we started out with dialogue from um, stories that appeared on the Moth Radio Hour. Um, G- mm-hmm. Gabe could actually talk a little bit more about that, probably the, the process of finding those writers. There's a lot of writers, and there's like two story and three script writers. Yeah, that yeah. seems like a lot of people. It's yeah, a definitely it's a, a very creative team. It's a team project every time, which makes it really, really fun and a little different. This is an absolutely enormous project. I mean, I've never seen I've never seen an independent uh, comic book project with so many concurrent titles running. Uh, I've never yeah. seen it before. Well, yeah, it, <laughs> your game to go. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 kind of unprecedented. We hear the same thing. Um, I also uh, am lucky enough to to run sales for the company, and uh, we hear the same thing from you know comic book shops every day. Um, wow, this is a lot. How are you guys doing this? Like, uh, and and really, what it comes down to is the dedication of uh, the editorial team. Mm-hmm. Uh, at, at, at Double Take, Charlotte, Mike Coast, uh, Caroline, Alicia, and and Robert, and and they uh, they really they just <laughs> they buckle down. I I am so lucky to be able to be in the same building with these people because it's just uh, like it's it's like watching uh, masters at work. Uh, the, the documents that go around, around about time, you know what time everything is happening so to make sure that when there's a crossover it makes sense between books and you know we have we there's kind of a bible in the office that that our story editor runs michael coast to make sure that you know the people who are in scenes in multiple books aren't appearing in two places at once it's mm-hmm. it, it's the, the amount of man hours and effort that it takes to get you know 10 titles like this done uh, in a relatively timely fashion and out the door and it, at the quality that they are is it's superhuman. Um, and, and, uh, it's, it's, it's great to be a part of a team that is so dedicated. 
and it's a unique opportunity as well. I mean, the, this is a this is a financial situation that probably uh, has never occurred before. I mean, with respect to the backing that you're getting from the parent company, Take Two. That's absolutely right. We are very much an independent comic book company that has the backing of a major major corporation. And as a result, we have a lot of advantages that other publishers don't have. Uh, we get uh, a little bit of extra time to do the things we need to do. Ultimately, uh, we're not the ones that are you know driving the company forward in terms of profit month to month. We're there and we're very much looked at as an investment uh, on the part of the parent company. And as a result, we have creative license. Um, the nice thing about Take-Two is uh, they are a parent company in the truest sense in that they have these studios, of which we are considered one now, like 2K Sports and mm -hmm. Rockstar Games, and they keep their hands totally off of the creative. Our office is in charge of what we're doing uh, there is no edict from above. It's do what you do best, put it out there in the world, and, and we're going to help you make sure it happens. It's like uh, it's like jug juggling soap bubbles, you know? <laughs> I mean, that's it, exactly that's right. not inaccurate. Um, and what, one of the things about this job is actually one of our artists um, actually described it as he didn't know a job could be like this. It, to be able to have so much creative input with kind of this backbone of the story as Night of the Living Dead and to be able to craft our own ideas around it and create characters and situations and just think so visually is such a, a rare pleasure to get to do. You know, especially in my position as editor, I have a ton of say in mm -hmm. all of my books and you can't always, you know, if you're working in, if, if I was editing Spider-Man or, or something like that there's a canon that you have to follow but we are really making something new and that is you know it's it's freeing it's it's pretty wild to get to have this be job which you are you awesome. are defining your own canon well you yeah. start with a canon and then shoot off from there Exactly. Oh, I see what you did there. You did, didn't you? <laughs> so tell us about the artists. Who are they? Where did they come from? What have they done before? What do they bring to the table? And how did you get them all to produce art with the same look and feel? <laughs> that has been a journey, certainly. Um, because especially when you're working with comic book artists, uh, there's a, a, a couple of styles that are very, very, like, common within the industry. There's sort of the Ultimates Marvel style, which is what you think of the muscle-bound superheroes look. There's the Hellboy kind of dark noir, um, you know, Frank Miller stuff. The Jim Steranko stuff and the, the, you know. Yeah, exactly. And so there are these Jim very distinctive and looks. And Bill, our GM, was going for something very specific. He didn't want it to be like other comic books. He wanted it to be softer. He wanted it to be more varied. He wanted it to be more about actual drawing. Um, if you look in the backgrounds of our books, you will find an amount of detail that is not present in probably any other comic book that's being published, um, down to names on the backs of the binds of books in the far, far distant background of, you know, an office. Uh, and so it's, it's really been a journey to teach our, art, our artists, our artistic teams to have an eye for this level of detail and to 
have the lightness of hand and the quality of line that we're looking for. And really it's been a, a long journey for, um, for one of my books, honor, for example, we had a different artist for each issue until, um, I really think we found the artist for us. Um, his name is Novo. He's wonderful for issue four. And I think we're going to continue with him for the series, but it's taken a long time to find the right person, uh, to do it. So it's kind of a, it's definitely a process of, of learning who's a good fit. And, uh, you know, the same with writers. Um, the editors have stayed the same. We've, we've held on to our series, our, our various series, but we've had to make some really tough calls sometimes about who's a good fit for a story or not. Mm-hmm. Remote, on the other hand, was actually, uh, the first issue was drawn by, uh, David Wilson, I believe. Gabe, correct me if mm-hmm. I'm wrong. That's correct. Um, yeah, David Wilson and, uh, it was a very specific look. Uh, as you can tell, it was really, really different from all of our other books. It was very stylized, and we wanted it that way in the beginning. But then um, we had one of our in-house artists, Young Heller, draw it. And his style, I really think, brought uh, Remote to life. Um, Remote is my absolute favorite book to work on. It is the book where I think my voice comes out the most, and um, I have the most creative input actually the for the issue four i i wrote a significant amount of issue four as gabe and i both wrote a lot of it but you know young has a storytelling aspect to his work that it's in the details it's in Mm -hmm. the little ways that the characters you know make faces or kind of gesture and and you have to find someone really we have illustrators we don't just have comic book artists I, i think our our the artists on our books go above and beyond um, the normal comic book look. Mm-hmm. That was a, quite a long answer, but I, I hope it. No, <laughs> no, fine. that was that was exactly what we were looking for. I oh, noticed. So, uh, how much of you is in Samantha? <laughs> well, <laughs> she's badass or redhead. So uh, Samantha and I have that in common. Gabe, I don't know. Do you think? Do you think Samantha displays any of my qualities? I. I absolutely believe it to be true. Um, <laughs> I, I uh, Charlotte and I, I, I've I've had the the privilege of working closely with her on issues three and four of Remote, um, and and she uh, the energy that she has definitely inspires the words that come out of Samantha's mouth. There's no question about it. Uh, and she's she's a bit of a firecracker, and she uh, she doesn't take no for answer, and she um, she makes her own way of things, and mm-hmm. that's I it's mean, like, that's like what a, I've had to do nope. as this is my you know my first <laughs> uh-huh. foray into this business. <laughs> I've had to do that, like in like in uh, the the second uh, edition of the of remote. You know, she's uh, she needs to get stuff done at the station, but it's full of zombies because all of her coworkers are zombies now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So she actually gets some of them to do the work. You know, yeah, she's actually <laughs> yeah. Push this button, get a piece of candy. <laughs> you know, or uh, if they're if they're getting on her nerves, she just holds up the fire extinguisher and waves it at them, and they all. You know, <laughs> oh yes, I remember that. And, you know, it's like, and uh, they wander off, and she's basically got it under control mostly. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. I the cover. Of remote to is an homage to Attack of the Fifty Foot Woman. It is. It is. And uh, and it has nothing to do with the contents of the book. None whatsoever. <laughs> Not yet. 
We have a we have a uh, saying at at Double Take, which you may have heard before, is that you can't judge a book by its cover. (laughs) Um, And we try to have cover art that doesn't necessarily uh, give away what's going to happen within the pages of the book. That's Mm -hmm. kind of a specific thing uh, that we try to do. Yeah, these are. Go ahead. I feel like this might be a good time to kind of segue into exactly um, what what the books are kind of. Uh, moving toward, uh, because as you mentioned, yeah, uh, Sam is uh, pretty tall on the cover of issue two. Um, what we're trying to do here is build a true comic book universe. And so through all of the books, as we move forward, um, especially in these, these fourth issues that we just put to bed, um, we're moving very quickly uh, from just being zombie-centric into a world where uh, more than just zombies exist. Um, so whether that means uh, somebody with superpowers uh, or, or you know, potentially, and I don't know where I may have heard this, Charlotte, maybe you can help me with this, giant women who also happen to be on the radio. <laughs> Gabe, um, I have the foggiest idea where you could have gotten that idea. I know. I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know. But... Uh, ultimately, like, uh, and, and the nice thing about this is because comics is such an interesting medium this way, it can all be explained. Um, in the film, uh, the the dead coming to life is is very much uh, blamed on NASA uh, nuking the Venus probe and the Venus probe coming down over Western Pennsylvania. Well, you know, sometimes. Um, you know, sometimes radiation does weird, weird things to to people other than bring them back to life, and and sometimes it's not radiation at all. Um, so there's a lot of fun stuff coming that will expand. Like when I said we're expanding this universe, mm-hmm. I meant uh, that expands this universe in in all directions. And that and that that's not like expansion because the gases in the intestines are rotting and, and you know. <laughs> well, they, the zombies she seem to be immune blow. to uh, a number of the ills that, uh, you know, accompany an average corpse. They don't decompose. They do not. And yep. they don't stink. They don't. As a matter of fact, they smell pretty good, we learn. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Weirdly good. <laughs> Weirdly good. Also, just just to be clear, if if anyone was going to grow to be a very tall woman, she would probably be fifty one feet. Not not correct. I'm That's just right. Saying. You're five foot one times with a <laughs> multiplier there. Exactly. That's cool. I like that. So you could have uh, you know this sort of hints at things going in in uh, in a very nineteen uh, fifties uh, atomic age cinema sort of direction. Fifties sixties. Yeah, so I, I like that. You know, you could you could have uh, the you know them the the giant ants. <laughs> and, she uh, ate them. The thing in the blob. She she we ate them and the thing Mothra, and the blob. No wonder she giant she, tomatoes. She, let her let her talk. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just I just got lost in the in the punchline there. <laughs> she ate them and the thing and became the blob. No. <laughs> Maybe. We'll talk about that at the next creative briefing. Leave my wardrobe out of this. Where does a six where does a fifty foot woman get wardrobe? Oh gonna have wherever to wait you can see. find it. If if she grew to fifty one feet, if that happens. Yeah, so uh Yeah, uh 
uh, alien invaders, you know, with ray guns and giant and and gorillas wearing space helmets. Well, I'm <laughs> I'm looking at at you know President Johnson riding out there with his six guns. Hey, you know, Lyndon Johnson's a huge part of our universe, and I would not yeah. put it past him for one second. Um, yeah, I mean, the nice thing about comic books is nothing's off limits. So, yes, may, maybe we will see those gorillas in space helmets. I would love it. Yeah, it's. It, I loved robot men from Mars. They weren't robots, they weren't men, and they were not from Mars. <laughs> it's absolutely nothing in that title was true. So it's not judging a movie by its title. There you go. <laughs> well, I don't know. From movies to comic books, where next? Um, you work for a video game company. The the obvious go to would be: uh, Is this going to be a game? Maybe. Wow, um, I've got my fingers crossed for that. I can't. I, I can't answer the question yet because I don't know the answer. Um, but uh, gosh. Uh, I would love it if 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 we if we sell a million billion comic books, I can pretty much guarantee you the sky's the limit. Um, but uh, you know, for right now, what we're most focused on is is creating a universe and making it sustain itself for as long as we possibly can. Um, you know, nowadays comic books are uh, kind of everything. I mean, I'm pretty sure Hollywood makes ninety percent off of its money off of comic book movies. These days, no yeah. yeah. this um, week. You know, uh, Z-Men <laughs> yeah. uh, was – we were lucky enough, uh, Lionsgate option Z-Men um, very quickly after we released it wow. um, uh, for a major motion picture. Um, you know, hopefully we'll see that come to fruition. Um, but, uh, you know, in terms of other media, uh, we're going to keep our options open, obviously. But for now, um, we're, we're focusing on making the absolute best comic books in the world. I, it's an a, investment because it is and they're two fifty a book, and they're and you got to read all ten of them. So that's plunking down twenty five bucks. That's like your latte budget for a week. Ah, month. See, yeah. But we 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 put in a nice little safety clause for you in that case. Now we talked about the editorial teams and how hard they work. Um, that said, you can pick up Remote One and Remote Two and enjoy Remote as a series. You can pick mm-hmm. up Z Men One and Z Men Two. Uh, and three, and on June 1st, issue fours, and enjoy it as a series. You get rewarded as a, as a, as a reader at, a, at an exponential level if you pick up the super packs of the books. Um, we're doing something that other comic books have never done, as far as I can recall, and that's packaging our universe together every time we have a release so that readers can binge read the entire universe and the super packs are uh, msrp at 20 dollars instead of 25 so you get a little bit of a break there but then you get to binge read this entire universe Uh, you know that seems to be the way that media is going in general this whole binging thing so we felt that that was an appropriate way to to package the books together and if if uh if this is any indication i mean this is Everything you're doing with these books is different than the way everybody else does it. Certainly every other comic book. I mean, you know, even the current example out there is Civil War. You had to pick up every book in their line every month just to follow the storyline. And it was three, three and a half bucks a book, too. And that was, that was some, some <laughs> real money some after real a money. while. Now, you can, as you say, you can just pick up Rise or Spring or any of those titles and just, just read that one. 
and and it's good. And and, and, and you get enough of the story because of the background uh, uh, that's laced into all of the other books that you can kind of follow what's going on anyway in the global sense. Yeah, I like to think so. We use, you know, Charlotte alluded to it a little bit earlier from an editorial standpoint, the Jets, Pets, and TV sets thing. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's very much something that Romero used in the original film, uh, using other forms of media to help tell the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, radios are on everywhere. TVs are on everywhere. Um, you know, and it, and it really gives it uh, not only a realistic feel, but helps tell the story. Um, we... Uh, we take great pride in in the fact that that our books are different, and I think Charlotte can attest to this as well. Uh, the reason that everything is different is because our boss is probably the most different human being on the face of the planet. Oh, um, oh he's in, <laughs> in the best way. I, I, I mean, it's uh, Bill uh, will will say ten times a day if you do something over and over again and it fails and you keep doing it, then you're a crazy person. Um, so, you know, he wants to turn the, the comic landscape on its head. He wants to make comics good again, uh-huh. uh, which is what he did when he was at Marvel. I mean, uh, p- personally speaking, I read comics when I was a kid. went away from them right around 94 when I felt they started to be bad. And mm-hmm. then in the year 2000, my best friend walks into school and hands me Ultimate Spider-Man number one, and I was hooked again. Um, and it's because, and, and that was a good amount of that was, was Bill saying, I'm not going to put out a bad comic book, uh, when he was at Marvel and, and it worked and so far so good here. Uh, I, I like to think that, that we have a real opportunity to change the game and we're right at the precipice of, of achieving greatness. So this is, uh, Bill Jemis, yeah, Bill, Je- Bill Jemis, Bill Jemis. Who uh, is responsible for the story and the script on the book I have in my hand here, remote, uh, for the second issue anyway, and um, it must that's that's quite an environment. I mean, I'm I am struck by the freedom and the creative balance that you have in your working environment, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Camelot. <laughs> um, I, I think Charlotte maybe you should talk a little bit about the way that the creative meetings are done because from my understanding um, they do things differently in terms of story crafting we do things differently in terms of story crafting than any other comic book company out there we really it is a team effort and it's something that we we go over and over uh, it's very much a writer's room sort of feel right yeah, um, you know, just kind of going with remote, just because that's my favorite of my my books to talk about and to work on. Um, so for remote, you know, we had to find the right artist. We we ended up changing artists and we ended up changing writers, um, and it's become more and more um, about you know. Gabe has a lot of experience in radio before he was um, working for us. Gabe, how many years did you work in radio? I worked in small market country radio for eight years. So, you know, one of the things um, that Bill stresses for every book is it's got to be informative, funny, and, oh my God, what's the third one, Gabe? Interesting. Interesting. Right. There we go. Interested, informative, funny. Um, And so the informative part we want to teach people real things. Um, 
it's fun to read remote partially because the radio tradecraft and the radio language is real. It's what Gabe knows. It's all how it actually works. And I think that's what gives it the tone because Bill is always saying, if you're going to show people the dead coming to life, superpowers, um, you know, extreme growth, you've got to ground that everything else needs to be normal so that when those fantastic things happen, they're actually fantastic. Um, so we, we try to follow that mantra of interesting, informative, funny, um, you know, interesting things happening. We try not to have characters just standing around and talking. We don't like talking heads in panels, which you will find in most comic books is the way to have a conversation between two people. No, they're um, all moving. They're all going <laughs> some. They're all going somewhere. They're driving or they're walking. They're driving. Exactly. They're driving or they're walking. And even when Sam is, uh, say, on the phone with Mr. Grubbler, we uh, actually, our artist Young Heller developed that split screen thing. That's his idea. And it now happens in all of our comics across the board. Um that they're both doing fun things while they're on the phone. You know, Sam's making coffee. Grubbler's, um, I believe, in issue he's two. He's making something, dog. but it's not coffee. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, he's <laughs> making something, but it's not coffee. But his little dog, you know, gives him a bubble mustache while he's sitting in the bath with his his two friends and his, you know, his uh, manservant, Crispin. And uh, it, it, we try to kind of keep the keep things really fun looking and when they're fun looking they're also interesting if that makes any sense at all sure um <laughs> yeah so our creative briefings sort of um you know this is a good example actually we had one this morning as we are we're wrapping issue fours and going into issue fives we sort of we bring together the editor the head story editor who's mike bill and then whoever else is working on the project, if it's um, if it's an in-house layout artist or if it's um, an freelancing layout artist, we get them on the phone. Um, if we have a writer for that particular book, you notice that we do a lot of the writing ourselves in-house. We don't have that many writers right now. Um, then we get them on the phone, too. And we just sort of try to talk it out. We try to make a really rough timeline. And we sort of start with what do we need them to accomplish in this episode. Um, from there, we say, okay, so they... You know, Sam needs to, you know, get the zombies to assist her at the station and she's they've got to be rolling all the ads and there can't be any dead air because it's a radiothon. So she's going to need help. So how is she going to do that? You know, she's going to train the zombie with the flashlight, um, you know, <laughs> in, in issue three. I can tell you because it's already out. Uh, she trains a zombie to be her laugh track by uh, putting on a big funny hat. And when she puts on the hat, the zombie laughs and she records that. Um, so it's all about, you know, how they got, have to get things done. Um, and then from there, you know, we, we sort of chunk it up. We say, all right, Gabe, um, she's going to talk to the boss, Grubbler, about radio business stuff. You take a shot at writing this. Um, you know, mm -hmm. Mike might take a shot at writing some of the dialogue between her and some callers. And then I'll usually just <laughs> whatever I think is the most interesting. Often it's what's between her and the other zombies. Sometimes there's some fun stuff to write in there. Um, but we all sort of take what seems to come naturally to us, what we find interesting. And of course there's a lot of input from the artists on how they want things to go and, 
you know, team effort to, to kind of craft the whole picture in these first creative briefings, try to get a really rough idea of what's going to happen and then narrow in the focus for each person from there on the team. It kind of, uh, in a way, it reminds me of what hap- what goes on around this place. I mean, Susan <laughs> basically figures out what needs to be done and then she... You know, she, she, uh, I did, I, then I released the flying monkeys. Yeah. And, 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 and I'm over here going brains. Oh, no. you're a tech guy. Come on. I couldn't do this without you. I like that. Actually, to be honest, it sounds like uh, it's the same sort of story sessions that go on when you're developing a, uh, uh, a, an, an adventure game. Yeah, we have you to know. get from here to there. Go. Well, yeah, here to there, and uh, we can take 16 possible parallel paths to get there, and it can branch in 20 different ways, and how do you interlace all of that and make everything make sense? You know. Oh, my, yeah. So this is a giant game of Dungeons & Dragons, guys. It, like, yeah. for sure. <laughs> yeah, like, that, there's that was no my question point. about it, and <laughs> Bill is our dungeon master. It is, it is absolutely apt to make that comparison. Well, you call him the GM. It's, it's Games Master, right? Game Master, exactly. Yeah. Um, he's uh, he's the guy kind of pulling the strings at the head of the table, but we all have input. We all push the, the story in different directions until we find the way that you know that makes the most sense. And 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 then the editorial team that I keep gushing over takes over and makes it all make sense. So it's. Um it's a comic book company owned by a major game company. I assume you're being distributed by Diamond because everybody is. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. And uh, so you can get these books wherever comics are sold in the fi- that, in the finer stores. That's correct. Um, we're we're in regularly, uh, you know, on the shelves in a little over a thousand comic shops all over the country. Um, also available at, at Hastings stores um uh, in the south and uh barnes and noble stores nationwide in the newsstand mm-hmm. uh, electronic you know, editions absolutely comiXology is okay. your best friend uh 99 cents uh for issue three uh and issue two on comiXology however if you go to doubletakeuniverse.com we've actually created our own digital player um and issues one and two are available for free on DoubleTakeUniverse.com all the time. Nice. Oh, nice. Um, uh, the nice thing about the digital player is that, see, our books are created a little differently than most other books. We go digital first. So our books are actually created panel by panel. Um, so uh, the digital books are a different reading experience than the uh, the actual print versions. So the print versions are, you know, traditional comic book layout. You know, you have the... Uh, mm-hmm. the balloons and you have the panels broken apart on the page to tell the story a different way. Online, uh, our digital version is very much panel by panel uh, with subtitle style texting. So you actually get uh, almost a stop motion animation effect to the story oh. as you click through. They're digital storyboards is really what they are. And once again, you're doing something nobody else does with comics. That's yeah, actually, nobody Bill, else does uh, this. invented that. Which is kind of cool. Yeah, no, nobody else is doing any of this. This is a this is really amazing stuff, and the fact that you all get to actually do this and get paid. <laughs> yeah, are you kidding me? Like, this is I, the I, most fun ever. And I, I I can't speak for Charlotte's side of it because I can't draw a stick. I believe that it's something pretty. But from my perspective, 
I'm a kid who grew up loving comics and loving this stuff, and I fall backwards into the point that now every single week, two days a week, I get to go to comic shops and visit guys who sell comics for a living and say, hey, this is what I do now, and, and I get to hang out with you, and they pay me to do this. I have to slap myself every morning <laughs> to make sure that this is real. <laughs> Gabe is the best cheerleader ever. I just want to put that out there. I'll say he is. <laughs> hey, that's what they pay me for. I, 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 would, cheer, I would cheerlead like this. Isn't uh, that great? Even if not. But, uh, yeah, it's it's uh, uh, the, these people are the most creative, uh, uh, unbelievably talented people I've ever been around. And uh, uh, present company not excluded. Mm. It's, uh, it's definitely – it's um, – it's it's weird dream job stuff. You know, when I talk to people from high school, they say, oh, what do you do now? I'm like, oh, I got an editor and art director at a comic book company. They're like, how do you have the job that you told everyone you wanted in high school? <laughs> Somebody I, had to. do not know. That never happens. No, it, and it's, it, never it was happens. kind of a wild dream then. Yeah. Yeah, that's Wow. I'm impressed. I'm this, impressed. Now, this late in the show, we'll say, so what's next for you? But what's next is issue five, issue six. How many issues have you got mapped out for this? In the story so, arc. In the story Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting, interesting thing. Um, all ten of these titles are going to go five issues apiece in this first arc. Okay. Uh, so uh, we are targeting, and Charlotte probably knows better than I do, but uh, I'm pretty sure we're still targeting to be done with issue fives. Uh, by the end of July, uh, have issue five in the market by the end of July. I know that sounds daunting, Charlotte. Just work a little harder. I'm just um, deep breaths. <laughs> um, but then uh, we will have trade paperbacks uh, of all ten titles in uh, late September, early October. Mm-hmm. Um, these titles will all be ongoing, just at different rates. Um, some of them we may sit down for a little while, uh, but pick back up. Uh, we will have uh, the rest of what's coming is really the fun part for me to talk about because uh, this universe is the double take universe. So everything we do moving forward will take place in the universe that's established in these books. Um, so uh, before the end of the year, we'll have at least three brand new titles that take place in 2016, 50 years on from this initial outbreak. Oh, um, we will have superheroes will emerge. We'll have a couple of super straight up superhero books. Uh, we have a modern day pirate book on the way, um, as well as uh, potentially a couple of female centric modern day books as well. Modern um, modern pirates are not jolly. No, they're, they're not. They're Somalians no, they're who kill you. They are indeed. <laughs> yes, that is. Um, I'm not so, editing those books. I don't know about that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, that sort of stuff is coming, um, but uh, we'll we'll also have fun with the timelines. It looks like uh, of the current books that we're doing. Well, I, we have a lot to look forward to. I I, I can't wait. Some issue threes and fours that will be uh, first on our list. Oh, I am for I sure. Am, yeah, I'm so sorry you didn't get issue threes. We're super well, proud of those. No, don't worry about that. I just I'm just going to send me off to uh, what was the name of the uh, uh, the the electronic publisher with with your uh, app and all that oh okay so uh if you go to our website it's doubletakeuniverse.com mm-hmm. uh you can read the first and second digital issue of digital storyboards there just by clicking on the covers 
And then uh, for issue three, uh, if you, they're ninety nine cents a piece, it's Comicology, uh, which is kind of the the gold standard in um, uh, digital comics uh, mm-hmm. in the marketplace right now. And and uh, wow, I mean, <laughs> there's just, I'm I'm well, don't I'm, anybody bother me tonight. I'm reading. You're go you're going Injury. through the, the stop motion. Yeah, oh see, yeah, that's that's the point. Brains. <laughs> I think I have to go feed him some brains now. Okay, come along. Brains. Brain a day, you know. It's Doctor. Candy, candy is better than brains. It's true. They're just, <laughs> they're just. Yeah, they're just hungry. That's all. What an awesome conversation! We we are so grateful that we finally got you on the air. This um, is, is this has been great. Yeah, uh, great to to be with you. And and anytime you want to talk again, by all means, please reach out and uh, help us spread the double take gospel. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, when you've got a new project going, or when you know you're, you know, whatever, some big new event, you know, uh, ping us and we'll we'll, we'll put, do this again. We'll put you on the air. We'll have a party. Sounds great. Thank you for the opportunity. It's been really great to talk to you guys. Uh, we have been talking to Charlotte Greenbaum. And Gabe Yoakum uh, of yeah, it doesn't have brains. a it, it has brains. No, the um, Night of the Living Dead revival comic book series from uh, Take Two Interactive's comic book company Double Take. It, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you guys so much. Despite me going up in the middle like no, no several worries. times, <laughs> it wouldn't be our show if we didn't go every so often. Yeah, we'll fix it in post. Charming. It's we'll really fix it in post. It's, oh, thank you. Thank That's you. what you get with a live mic. Thank you for joining us this evening for episode 136 of Krypton Radio's weekly production of The Event Horizon for May 14th, 2016 with your hosts, Susan L. Fox and Jean Turnbow. Our guests this evening were Gabe Slocum and Charlotte Greenbaum of Double Take Comics. This episode will air again on May 15, 2016 at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern, and at 4 a.m. Pacific, 7 a.m. Eastern on Tuesday and Saturday. Once all of the airtimes have passed, you will find this episode and others as downloads on KryptonRadio.com and on iTunes and Stitcher as podcasts. If you are an author or other creator and would like to be on the show, please contact our production manager, Kat Carter, at katcarter at KryptonRadio.com. If you would like to become a patron of the Geeky Arts, and we really wish you would, you can do so for as little as $1 to $5 a month. Please visit patreon.com slash kryptonradio to join the Krypton Radio family of listeners and make more shows like this one possible. The Event Horizon title sequence was written and produced by Gene Turnbow. The science officer was played by Mark Schermeister. The engineer was Christian B. McGuire, the navigator was Christine Cherry, and the captain was voiced by legendary science fiction writer Aaron Niven. This program and its contents, except where provided by others, are copyright 2016 by Krypton Media Group Incorporated. The Event Horizon. It's sci-fi for your Wi-Fi. <laughs>